Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 137 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with career change advisor Ricky Hansen about how to figure out when it's time for a change. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio Legal Practice Management Software. Clio makes running your law firm easier. Try it for free today at Clio.com. Sam, we're talking with a career change expert, my friend Ricky Hansen, today. And I think we have a reputation as like a place people go when they want an alternative legal career. Um, or they're disgruntled, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess I can own our role in having had versions of that conversation for a number of years. But what I'm really excited about with this conversation is Ricky has lots of kind of tips and tools and things to think about if you're dissatisfied in your career and looking for a change. But I'm really interested in kind of how we frame this, not just as a how people can get out of the practice of law if they hate it, but more about how to step back and realign your practice of law with a career plan for yourself that doesn't keep you stuck in the college to law school to associate to partner track where you're just tracked the whole time and then you end up unhappy. And instead is to step back and figure out kind of what are your goals in life, both for your career and for change you want to make in the world. And potentially, how can you then recommit to the practice of law to achieve those goals, whether it's in kind of a traditional practice or not. And that's what I'm really interested in kind of thinking about this career change topic. Yeah, I think there is abundant evidence that the practice of law as it has been traditionally practiced has some unhealthy aspects for lawyers. And it's not a, it isn't necessarily a great way to have a career. And it's not great for clients who, you know, we all know public opinion of lawyers is not at super high levels. And that kind of combines to make people feel like they need to get out. And we're going to have a great podcast about what to do with those feelings, which may be perfectly valid. But I think there's the additional option that you've alluded to, which is maybe you just need to change the way you practice law so that it's better for you, better for clients. Because I think we're at this point where we can do that stuff. And um, we've seen people doing it in TBD law and in the larger small firm community. And it's really exciting to see people try something new and then find out how fulfilling it can be. Yeah. I mean, in the previous 136 episodes of this podcast are full of stories of lawyers who went off on a different career path. But most of them did so while still figuring out a way to quote unquote practice law. And so if this talk with Ricky leads you to want to quit practicing law, we will be supportive of that. But I think you can also listen to it with the perspective of using some of the tools she has to think about how to step back and plan a new path for yourself within your current career. Yeah. I mean, if you are working for another lawyer, um, and Ricky will talk about this too, sometimes it's time to go and start your own thing. What I think is kind of interesting is what if you're working for yourself and you're not happy about it? 
Um, sometimes it's still time to go to work for a different firm that you start yourself and it's just time to reboot it. Yep. This is a really cool podcast. I had a lot of fun with Ricky. Check the show notes. Um, she's going to include a free giveaway there if you want to know more about what she can offer and uh, about career change. And uh, I think you'll want to check that out. But here is my conversation with her. Hi, I'm Ricky Hansen. I'm a transition advisor and I help smart professionals in their 30s and 40s change careers or start their ideal business. Hi, Ricky. Thank you so much for being with us. And what is, I mean, to say more about a transition advisor, like what sorts of clients do you have and what does that mean? What is it that you actually do for them? One of the things that's really great about the world that we live in is that jobs and businesses that never existed before can exist now. So I just happened to call myself a transition advisor to put emphasis on the fact that I got a lot of experience in my field. So I on purpose don't call myself a coach because mm -hmm. anybody can do a weekend course in New Jersey and call themselves a coach. <laughs> I prefer the word advisor because I have over 10 years of experience and having worked with over 600 private clients. So very much where my sweet spot is in terms of where I help people is helping them nail down what they really want to do next. So exactly how much a change do they need? And is it a change within their career? Is it a total career change? Do they need to become entrepreneurs or is it something completely different? That is very much the area that I'm an expert in. Because it's really hard, right? You're tired of what you're doing or you're feeling like it's time for a change, but there's no path set out before you. It's really actually hard to know what you ought to do next and how to make that decision, isn't it? Well, it is. And also, it's, it's really interesting. When I first started out with my transition consultancy back in 2005, it wasn't really that normal back then to change career or to start your own business. But what's interesting is like now it's becoming more normal, but there are so many different books and so many different approaches. And one person says one thing and the other says another. So I think a lot of people are very confused as to what kind of framework to follow or mm -hmm. where to start. But I also think especially smart people, whether they're lawyers or finance people, whatever background they come from, they also have the whole issue that they tend to overthink and they tend to be very risk averse. So that brings a whole different flavor to the transition process as well. I mean, I have some very specific frameworks that I have found to be very helpful for my clients that I take them through. It's a three-step framework that literally I have tested on 600 people, so I know what works. <laughs> but I also think, especially for smart people, one of the first things they come up against is that their transition rarely gets any further than their own hits. Because they literally overthink it rather than trying to engage with the real world outside of their current profession. Say say more about that because I, I was almost coming in with the expectation that um, lawyers in particular tend to underthink um, in that they can't uh, they can't get their heads around leaving law practice because it's what we've been trained to do. It's the it's sort of the track that we're on. And so the only options that we consider sometimes are just a different firm doing the same, pretty much the same thing. Um, but so say more about overthinking, which I, sounds like maybe a little bit of a different problem. So basically, I'm sure maybe if I use the word getting into like an overthinking loop. So I'll give an example. I recently had a legal client who had loads of great ideas and were really excited about things she could do in terms of her own business. But her head was kind of like a slaughterhouse of dreams. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's an excellent image. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry for all the vegetarians listening, <laughs> but it's a little, if you think about it, 
It is generally not that lawyers like ideas, though some do, and we can talk about the issue around too many ideas and no ideas at all. Mm-hmm. But generally, lawyers, and actually this is back to something you just said, a lot of people who've been in the same profession for 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years have this idea that the alternative options are very limited. Mm-hmm. And and then if they, on the odd occasion, allow themselves to think about what they really would love to do or what they could do, whether that's a business or a totally different career, then they overthink it and think, oh, it's too good to be true and it's never going to happen. And I would love to do this, but that's a stupid idea. That's what I mean by the overthinking. You, you kill your those, own ideas before they even have a chance. Well, like the slaughterhouse of your yeah. head. It's yeah. like you kill your dreams before they even get a chance to get oxygen. So you kill them with your overthinking rather than taking action on them. And that's what I mean. And then the flip side of that is sort of the lack of imagination where uh, you don't have any ideas beyond just doing the same thing for different people. Yeah. And I think that's, let's talk about that because most of my uh, clients have uh, come from a corporate background and I myself come from a background in human resources for American investment banks here in London. As you can probably hear, I don't have an American accent. <laughs> right. And, so, and by the way, I'm actually Danish by birth just to spice up things. So, um, <laughs> Because probably everybody's wondering, like, what's that strange accent? So back to the whole thing around lack of imagination, I tend to find that people, smart people tend to fall into two categories as a general rule. Either the ones who have way too many ideas and don't know which one to pick and keep going around this sort of like start, stop, start, stop. You know, it's Monday. I want to be a winemaker. It's Tuesday. You know, I want to start my own um, sports company. It's Wednesday. I want to do a paleo delivery service. It's Thursday. Oh my God. None of those ideas are great. Or it's the classic lawyer who calls me and say, Hey Ricky, I would love to change career and maybe even start my own business. But I've been a lawyer for 10 years for the same firm. What else could I possibly do? Sure. And and it, I suppose some of it is even recognizing that initial itch in the first place. Like what what is this sort of discontent that's creeping into me? And before they even discover that there is such a thing as a transition advisor or a career coach and and thinking about searching out one, right? Yeah. I also think um, to a very large extent, lawyers tend to have this all or nothing approach to career change and entrepreneurship. So a lot of them are like, well, unless they're going to make a total change, there's no point. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those. So often it's like the first, and this might surprise the people listening, but very often the first question I will ask somebody who gets in touch, I'll ask them, well, what's really your problem? Is it really your profession or is it your horrible boss or is it the toxic work culture or is it because you're having a holiday in five years or what is it really? Because I think, I one of the surprising things that I've learned, I mean, I've like I said, I've done this since 2005, 600 plus private clients and thousands more that I reached online. One of the things that surprised me most is that not everybody needs that big a change. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people only need a change within their career, but people are almost afraid of opening that Pandora's box because they think that, oh, my God, they clearly need a complete career change. But if you're listening, just know that that's often not always the case. So don't be afraid of lifting up the lid, you know? Because yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose if it's just your boss, but you love the work you do, then you need then the solution is different than starting a completely different career. Yeah. I mean, I have a very specific framework that I help people with for that. And this might be helpful for those of you listening. So I think there's a big difference when I help people assess how, what is the degree of change needed? Like literally the first step I ever commend is, Find out what is your problem. You know, that's really important. What is the problem you got on your hand? Is it your profession? 
is it really to do with innate factors to your profession? So things like the subject of law, you know, the values that tend to be accepted by someone in that profession, your future, you know, prospects, you know, the training, you know, all of the kind of things that wouldn't really change no matter how many job searches and changes you did. And even if you start a young company and that kind of things, or are your problems mainly to do that you are in the wrong culture, you know, company culture? Is it the wrong kind of people you work with? Or is it the wrong kind of client group? You know, is it the wrong kind of industry? I mean, I recently had a client who worked in aviation law. And, you know, when I asked her directly, would you care if you never heard anything about aviation ever again in your life? And she'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. Whereas others, they were like, I actually like the subject of law, but I can't stand my bloody clients, you mm. know? Whereas like if I had clients who wouldn't treat me like this, I would be happy to be a lawyer, you know? So nail down, first of all, is your problem to do with your very profession or is it more to do with where or how you're choosing to practice your profession? That is step number one, because one of the biggest things for lawyers is, and, and for professionals in general is they're highly risk averse. So, so the first thing you need to decide is what is your problem? What stays and what goes? Because if you get too far ahead thinking about what else can you can do without making that decision, it's going to keep coming back to haunt you. Oh, is it the, really the right thing to leave this thing behind? Make that decision right up front. Yeah, it, sound, it starts sounding really risky once you start making bigger decisions. But if what you really need is a small change, then yeah, no big deal. That's easy. Mm -hmm. And also, you can always just start there. One of the things, especially for risk averse people, whether you've been in a originally in a bigger firm, you moved to a smaller firm, or if you've been, a, I mean, pretty much anybody who's been in the legal profession or classic professions for more than a couple of years, we, you know, you're all institutionalized, you know, it's, it's this kind of like, you know, thing for life, and it's a safe bed, and all of this kind of thing. It's taken for granted almost that you're crazy if you're even thinking about leaving. It is a little bit of a cult if you think about it, the legal yeah. profession. Right? It's like in it for life. you know. And also, when you are a lawyer, you are paid to look for risk. You are paid to do due diligence for every single little detail that could go wrong in every alternative universe, including this one. So you go into your career change with that very same mindset and that makes it very hard for you to think straight and to really look at the bigger picture. But that's also why if you actually just start by looking at identifying your problem, then you're doing something you're naturally good at, but you're applying it to your own career change scenario. Yeah, well, and, and I think when I hear from people who are considering a career change and they're starting to display that um, either the, the overthinking or the risk averseness, the flip side that I try to highlight for them sometimes is... Um, yeah, but there's a, I can give you a guarantee with zero risk attached to it whatsoever, which is that if you don't make a change, you're going to continue to be unhappy. Yeah, I think though, I would go even further. Um, if you spend any amount of time looking into the influence of AI, the way the future work is going to happen, I would say the biggest risk is staying stuck. Yeah. And here's, here's a really good example of that. I can literally have someone in law calling me. They know they need a change but they're so afraid they don't even want to start even engaging in a dialogue about it. That person has already mentally checked out of their profession. That means they're not keen to take on any exciting cases. They're not keen to further develop themselves in terms of professional development. They're not really going to network that much or do any other kind of things that you're supposed to do if you want to do well in a legal career. That means you are slowly getting demotivated, de-skilling yourself and putting yourself at risk. Mm -hmm. 
That is why the least you could do to yourself is diagnose what is actually your problem. Because especially if you think about the legal profession, both in the US, but also especially here in the UK, it hasn't actually changed much since Dickens' times, you know, in the last 200 years. And every single piece of research shows that the legal profession is going to change more in the next 10, 20 years than it has in 200 years. Of course. So if you think you're, yeah, that might be obvious to you for a lot of people listening. <laughs> They kind of know that, but they don't because everybody's in denial to a certain extent, right? right? That's how we all survive on a daily basis if we're not in an ideal scenario. So I would say, people, yeah, of course they're going to be unhappy, but even worse, they're not actually going to be safe. They're going to be even more at risk because staying stuck is the risky strategy, the most risky strategy of them all. So, um, so let's say I've accepted that I need a change. Um, mm -hmm. how do I, I know someone who is, who is currently sort of, they've accepted that they need change, but there's the dizzying array of options is what they're confronted with. And they're even willing to contemplate leaving law practice. Yeah. They're essentially staring at the want ads or, or networking and they could do anything. You know, they're, you know, that if it, once you subtract that, okay, I can leave law, there's such a, a wide array of things. How do you even start to figure out what it is that you should do or what would suit you to do next? One of the things that I like saying is start with certainty. And people go, what? <laughs> so here's the deal. Most of my clients are in their 30s and, or in their 40s. Yeah. And here's the deal. Life leaves clues. So one of the first things that I recommend people they think about is to build a solid foundation. So once you know your problem then let's look at, well, out of everything you've done in your life and in your career so far, what do you know for a fact is actually working well for you? Whether that's a skill set, a personality trait, an interest, where do you tend to get results? Where do you really connect with people? What are those what I call ingredients that are already working well for you? So classic example might be that you might have phenomenally good communication skills or you might be really good with IT, or you might be really good at research. There might be certain things that you're just phenomenal at. And, and it's not just you who can see it. It's the kind of thing that when you have your performance appraisal, if you're lucky enough to still have one on this HR has been cut out of your company, mm -hmm. then what are the things that you're, all of your bosses, all of the people, whether it's your clients, what is it they say again and again that you're really good at? So it's both you know it, everybody else can see it, that you could actually build on. So look at what are the red threads and the themes in your life that are already indicating the kind of natural gifts and skills and abilities that you already have. That is a very good place to start. So what do you know for sure already is already working for you start there because that is clearly going to cut out a lot of the many things that you could do and narrow it down a lot further. We need to take a few moments to hear from our sponsors and when we come back, I want to ask you, what do you do with the feeling that you aren't doing enough meaningful work in your day-to-day -day life? So I want to take a quick break and when we come back, I want to talk about that sort of save the world complex that some of us have and how it plays into the transition. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. 
If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. You could invest in marketing your firm, you could spend more time helping clients in need, or you could catch your daughter's soccer game. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With Clio, tracking time, billing, and matter management are fast and easy, giving you more time to focus on what really matters. And Clio is a complete practice management platform with plenty of tools and over 50 integrations to help you automate daily tasks such as document generation and court calendaring. See how the right software can make it easier to manage your practice. Try Clio for free today at Clio.com. Okay, and we're back. And Ricky, that is kind of maybe a big question that I left us with. But, you know, some of us have this idea that we need meaningfulness and we kind of need to save the world in our careers And when you're facing a transition, I think that really comes up as, you know, well, if I'm going to make a change, you know, I need to have a greater impact on humanity. And I think that's really true for a lot of people in the world today who feel like things, you know, wherever they are on the spectrum of politics, things aren't going the way they want them to be going. And, you know, they need to dive in and make a difference. Uh, What do you do? What do you do with that impulse? And and how do you channel it or, or quell it or encourage it? First of all, I think if you are alive right now, you have a personal responsibility to do something to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. However, whether that's going to be the main course or a side dish is a personal choice. And what I often see is that when people have worked in a highly corporate environment for most of their career or for their career so far, a little bit like I said before, they almost feel like all or nothing. Well, if I'm going to change career or if I'm going to start my own company, then I'm going to go all the way over to the other you know, part of the world and change, you know, go save children in Africa or, you know, eradicate AIDS or something like that. And I think at the end of the day, if you look at people who are truly successful in terms of solving the really big issues that are facing humanity and the ones who really also love what they do, It tends to be because there is a natural match between the skill set they have and the people they're trying to help. So it's not just a one-way street. Mm -hmm. And that means that for someone to leave a law job in New York to get on a plane to Haiti, where they hang out in a, you know, and use their hands for a living and, you know, build, you know, new houses and stuff like that might not be enough of an intellectual challenge for them that is going to make up for the fact that they're having a deep humanitarian need met. You just reminded me of, we, we just got back from our TBD law um, retreat conference and, um, and I met a lawyer there who um, her career transition was essentially quitting her job and going backpacking in sub-Saharan Africa for a year. Is that a bad idea? To just say, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna, I'm taking some time off to think about this. So that's a totally different. Then we're going down a totally All right. different route. <laughs> Sorry. Because I, I think it's, I think we should have stayed a little bit longer with the meaning one, yeah. and then I'll answer the other one. Actually, I can answer the, that one very quickly. If you're very clear about why you're traveling and what you're trying to find the question, the answer to, then by all means do it. But don't just go out, hope it's going to fall in your face. So do some prep work before you go traveling. Yes. Back to the thing around meaning. I also think at the end of the day, think about some of the really big successful companies that are actually spending the most money solving the biggest problems. They're not actually designed to first and foremost solve problems in the world. Mm. So if you think about someone like Richard Branson, 
most of his companies are not directly set up to solve big problems in the world, but through his foundations and through the work that he does, he spent a lot of the money from the profit on solving real issues. So I would argue that you don't have to do something for a living that has the like you the purpose of either your career or your business doesn't have to be directly to, to do with solving a big problem in the world, but a lot of your profit or at least a certain percentage of your profit should. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I think it's, it, it, be very, very careful with this one. And by the way, it's something like literally, especially lawyers when they call me, it's like, I feel like I want to do something more meaningful. I want to make a mark in my world. And that's like the people in their 30s and 40s, the millennials are even more out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of, oh, God, I gotta, if I don't feel like I'm saving the world, you know, the day is not worth it. You know, let's let's get realistic, both in terms of where can you actually have the biggest impact and what makes sense to wait? Because it has to work for you. There's no point in you leaving a law job behind to go and be really unhappy as an administrator for Save the Children, right? Yeah. You are much better off, unless that's right for you, and, and so be it, but you are much better off you know, deciding what is the right career or business for you and then decide, well, does your ideal job description or your ideal day match with a charity or with something that's mainly aimed at solving big problems in the world? Or would you rather have that being the focus of where you spend some of your profits? So you can have it either which way. It's not just by going hands on in Africa that you can solve the problems. And I think this is something we see more and more examples of, of really profitable companies realize that they can actually help even more because they have a commercial side that is making more money from them than a lot of charities, you know, they can by the way they're set up. So, so they don't have to be mutually exclusive. And what do you, how do you think about, you know, once you've identified something you want to do, something you want to um, take part in, how do you make the decision? Do I apply for jobs? Um, do I try to create a job within an existing company or nonprofit? Or do I just, you know, say, screw it and go out and start my own business. Uh, what, how, do you, how do you decide which is, of those is going to be right for you? Well, first of all, um, I saw this quote the other day. I thought it was fantastic. And it said, performance equals knowledge. I would exchange that with action equals knowledge. Again, you can't think your way through to these things. Mm -hmm. So you need to do what I call test driving. There is a very big, and also some things you don't even need to test drive. So for example, a lot of people might not enjoy a nonprofit culture, unless it's a very modern nonprofit that has a lot of varied IQ right. working in that particular nonprofit. I'm saying this from a lot of experience. A lot of times you will have lawyers going to work in nonprofits and they really miss the IQ of the people they used to hang out with. Hmm to a certain extent, because it tends to be very administratively focused. So a lot of it tends to be just admin workers or office workers. So, you know, and by, by just thinking through what the reality of your day-to-day -day is going to be like if you go join a nonprofit, you can quickly see whether it's right for you or not. Does that make sense in terms of the IQ of the people you're going to hang out with, the kind of work you're going to hang out with? You know, if you're a lawyer, you might not want to go into like, you know, an administrative position, right? right? So that one is already, that, that one you can think through to, to a certain extent. But also in terms of, you know, if you're thinking about starting your own business, what can you start on the side, even whilst you're already working in your law job? So whether that's a blog, whether that's a pop-up shop, whether it's doing events or experiences on the side to test drive whether you actually like it or not, because 
that is something you need to feel on your own body and have a full body experience of, so to say. So that's one of the things when it comes to the final step, which is all around, you know, designing and launching that ideal business. You've got to look at what are the ways in which you can actually test drive it before you make the jump. Because the reason why most people, they end up staying stuck in jobs and professions they hate is because, again, like I said to you, they overthink. Their ideas never get further in their own head. So what I recommend that you find a way of test driving the, the idea for the business or the profession you're going into, whether it's even things like volunteering or networking with people in a certain profession, that's it's really important that like, you test drive it in the real world. Yeah, don't kill it yourself. Give it a test drive and let somebody else tell you it's a bad idea or or let it fail on its own. And why and I just said the big word, right, which is maybe motivating a lot of it, which is failure. What what if I try to make this transition and I can't make the income I want, or what if I start a business and it and it fails? And and that's a, a huge fear for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Well, to be honest, let's be fair. Every morning, I'm almost like Woody Allen right now. <laughs> you know, every morning you get out of bed, there's a real risk that your day is going to be a failure. Yeah. But the thing that I always say to my clients, there is a difference between a failure that's worth it and a failure that's not. So if right now, what I would say to everybody listening, if right now you are in a career or profession that's not worth failing at or failing for, you're barking up the wrong tree. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. So that's, I mean, think I, I've had my own business now since 2005. And like I said, I left a career, a very successful career in HR for American investment banks behind to start this. And, you know, even though, you know, having had that for 10 years is actually quite a massive success, but it doesn't mean that, you know, next year I'm not going to have a crap year and I'm going to fail somehow, but it's worth it. I absolutely love what I do. And it's a little bit like, think about it like marriage. I always give that analogy, you know, if you want to fall in love, you're going to risk, you're going to have to risk rejection. You're going to have to risk failure, but all the best things in life come with that. You know, you've got to risk some to get some. So it's one of those things, you know, what I would say instead is, well, what's really worth the risk? Is it where you are right now or is it going for what you really want? So uh, we touched on step one, I think. Uh, did we get to step three? You literally, you fast track, which is what most people do. <laughs> oh, did we skip step two? <laughs> yeah, we did, but that's okay. Um, Let's go back to it you, then. <laughs> the reason, but the thing is that'll generally sort itself out because if you haven't done step one and two properly, you'll fail a step three <laughs> because you haven't done the proper groundwork. So just a reminder that where you really start is by first of all, nailing down what is actually your problem. Yes. And then you build a solid foundation in terms of what stays and what goes and what are the ingredients and the skill set you already have, because you obviously don't want to go empty handed because whether you want to start your own business or whether you want to find a job, you're going to have to sell yourself to someone, whether it's your clients, your employers. So you've got to decide out of everything you've done so far, what do you still want to keep? And that you can then turn into a selling point for going forward. Gotcha. Then obviously for some people that's step one, they might actually realize that they just need a change within their career or, you know, they, that they, they don't need a change. But for some people, they'll get to the stage where like, okay, I'm clear about what I need to leave behind, what I want to keep, but it's not enough. I, I need something else. I want to do something different. Then step two is actually to curate your missing ingredients so what are the missing ingredients that you still could be looking for? And also, what are actually your options? Because one of the biggest things, and you touched upon this at the beginning, is that most professionals, they literally don't think they have any options because they've been in the same industry for so long. So that's really where you need to, I almost call it think like an entrepreneur. You know, an entrepreneur doesn't think that their past has to dictate their future. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I really recommend everybody listening right now. Just because you've been in a profession for 5, 10, 15 years doesn't mean that there is only a limited amount of options available to you going forward. Even though it's going to still take a while for this to change in people's head, if you look at it, the profession, the era of the profession is kind of over. Mm-hmm. Think about the amount of new job paths, career paths, business paths that are literally like being created every day. I mean, just something crazy like social media manager or, you know, all of these crazy AI jobs coming out or, you know, YouTube videos that all these crazy things that like five, 10 years ago, nobody could have predicted, you know, 15 years ago. Sure. So what we're looking at now is what I call more of a curating your ideal career, curating your ideal business. And that's a matter of looking at, okay. Now I build a solid foundation. I've already got a number of ingredients, but what's still missing? Do I need an ingredient that's around more meaning? Do I need an ingredient that's around a different subject? Do I need an ingredient that's around a different client group? So think about what are actually the ingredients that are missing and then specifically go hunt that down. So one thing that I often find with people who are looking for more meaning or more connection, often what's wrong is that it's the interaction with a client group that's the problem. So many lawyers, it's like they don't actually have a very close relationship or very warm relationship with their clients because they're paid to keep them safe and, you know, away from harm. And often it's a very, very professional relationship. You know, they're not really allowed to connect further. Whereas actually a lot of people who have more humanitarian needs, they would rather actually help their clients with maybe more personal stuff, whether that's health or psychology or more emotional stuff. So maybe that's a thing you could look at that one of the ingredients that you need to go out and find is, how can you actually find either a job or build a company that's more around actually connecting? So for example, what I'm doing, which is really helping people nail down what the right career businesses for them. That was one of the ingredients that I didn't have in my other company when I was in HR that I knew I wanted in my ideal business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah, that's, that's really important. And also one of the biggest issues is also that often people are like, oh my God, there are so many things I could do. But if you just think about ingredients in terms of buckets, like one bucket is who do you want to work with? Another one might be where do you want to work and under what circumstances? You know, is it freelancing? Do you want your own business? And also, here's the deal. A lot of people are very afraid of the word entrepreneur, because what do you think about when you think the word entrepreneur? You think really intimidating people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and Ariana Huffington and, you know, Richard Branson. And how does that make you feel? It makes you feel like a nobody, right? You're right, right. <laughs> and I think it's really important. Like one of the things I'm really big um, on is like, let's make entrepreneurship a little bit more relatable. Because I think it's like people almost like put entrepreneurs on a pedestal. And as everybody knows, it's like, we are nobody special. But what we do is special because we just take action. Even when nobody tells us to get out of bed in the morning, we still get out of bed, right? So when I do webinars um, for one of my online courses, I I often put up this slide with this like miniature person. You know, this I don't know if the small people, it's like an Instagram account with like this guy who goes all over the world and puts small people in all kinds of different scenarios. You know, there's miniature figurines. And I'm like, is this how you feel when you hear the word entrepreneur? And everybody goes mad like, oh, yeah, I thought it was just me. (laughs) You know, it's like I really want everybody listening. It's like you I promise you, you do not have to be anybody special or anybody gifted or genius. And you don't even have to do anything disruptive or something that never happened before in the history of humankind. You know, you just have to do something that solves a real problem in the real world that people want to pay to have solved. Well, and I feel like I increasingly talk to people about what they want to do next. And because this comes up at our retreat, it comes up when I talk to other lawyers. 
and they talk about what they want to do next and then there, but there's no job there's no application that they can send and you just have to go out and do it yourself and if there's something that needs doing and it meets your skill set maybe you just do just have to go out and do it yourself and there's a scene I may, you know maybe this is too obscure for current culture but uh, in in uh, Indiana Jones and uh, the Last Crusade where um, he's trying to cross this chasm and he closes his eyes and takes a step as if he's about to fall off the cliff, and instead, all of a sudden, there's a bridge there. And I feel like oh, that... Oh, dude, I'm a child of the 70s. Yeah, okay. I know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I feel like that is actually a good image of what it's like to start a business. It feels like jumping off a cliff, but there's a bridge there. It's not so bad. No, and also what I would say, if you don't have the skill, hire it. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that holds a lot of people back from starting their own business is they think they have to be so self-sufficient. But the fact is, we have a global marketplace now. Just think about it. If right now, even just we, you and I could literally start a company right now where none of us have any experience or skill because we could go on to Fiverr.com or we could, you know, find somewhere, someone in the world who has their skill and pay them to do that for us. So what's really crazy and also at a really good price potentially, yeah, right, right? right? Because now, and this is also why you should worry if you don't like what you do, because your skill set might be cheaper somewhere else. huh? So <laughs> if you have an idea for something, but you think, oh, but I got no experience and I don't have the exact skill, don't naturally think that you have to go back and retrain for that skill. You can hire it straight away. Or you can hire your first employee. A lot of times what I see happening is that people decide to gang up with their best friend who's also a lawyer to start their own company. And then they both have the same skill. I'm like, nah, why don't you, instead of ganging up with someone who has the same skill set, then you just hire your first employee who's got none of the skills that you have, but has all the skills that you need in addition to yours. So let me jump forward again. And let's, um, let's, say, let's say starting a business isn't for you. It's not the right decision. Um, and there's a job that you want, a, a job description that suits you. How do you go about that job search, especially when you're in sort of the second or third stage of your career when you're in your 30s and 40s? First of all, and I, I'm speaking as a, in my former life, HR manager, mm -hmm. remember that job ads are human resources wish list for Father Christmas. <laughs> so when you write that job ad, you know very well that you are not going to get all of that. And also, by the way, this is where we still have issues between men and women. Like a guy will, gen and this is like proven, a man will read a job ad. And if he can sort of do, you know, most of it, it if he can do like half of it, he will apply. Absolutely. Women won't, yeah. Yeah. right? And it's probably, you, you're familiar with that statistic. It's probably yeah. even worse than that. Um, so what I will say is remember job ads will make you feel really deflated. But that's just because... It's like I say, HR's wish list for the Christmas. So don't let that put you off. When most people fall down in the career transition process when it comes to looking for another job is that they, the career changer, don't take the time and doesn't take, make the effort to translate the skills that they have in the light of where they want to go next. Overthinking again. Yeah. So what happens is you'll get a CV that has low language. It doesn't have the language of the profession they want to move into. That is your problem, not the new employers. huh? Yeah. So, so I've got to get on my high horse here because it really bothers me and I really want to help the people listening. So remember, you really need to, if you're talking about the legal profession right now, just as an example, you need to de-legalize you know, your um, resume, as you call it in the US. You really need to do that. That's so important. So think about what is the lingo that is used in the industry you want to get into and how can you give them concrete examples of achievements or things you've done that's related to that 
So I know what a lawyer does. What I'm interested in knowing is, well, what kind of achievements and what kind have you actually had? And what have you done that's relatable to where you want to go next? So make sure that you rewrite your CV in the light of the future. Most people have a CV that's almost like a Catholic confession box, where it's everything they've ever done in the exact language it was done the exact time, right? <laughs> yeah. What you want to do instead is like, think, I always give this analogy, think first date, not confession chair. So first date is all the highlights. It's in the language the lady understands. You know, you make yourself look really good. That's really what you need to do with a career change CV. Mm -hmm. And what about the jobs that aren't really advertised? You know, especially when it comes to small companies, um, I find that, and, and when you're, when you're aiming, lots of lawyers are not aiming for entry-level jobs or even mid-level jobs. They want to, um, they want to skip up to the top and uh, help run a company or take a C-level position at a small company. Um, and those jobs aren't always advertised. Um, how do you go about networking for a job? First of all, I know it's it's a massive issue in the UK. It's also an issue I know in the US. The word networking is just horrific. Yeah, it is. Um, it sort of makes people just think like, uh, you know, American Psycho, here's my business card kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another reference there. And um, so what I would like to do for you to think about is that one of the main reasons why you want to change career is because you want to work with people you actually enjoy working with. And you actually want to be around people like yourself. So that means if you're going into an industry or trying to target companies where that's not the case, you're probably barking up the wrong tree. So what you should want to think about is making friends. That's what I think about instead of networking. That's, I love, I, that's what I tell people too. I, it's just making friends is the yeah, best. But, but think, yeah, but think about it from the position of you should not want to go somewhere and hang out if you wouldn't actually want them to be your friends in the first place. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So there's yeah. that one in addition to that. So I rarely recommend that people, I mean, you should definitely not rely just on job ads because you can wait a mighty long time, especially in the current economy. What you want to look at is, let's say you want to move into a certain industry. Where do the kind of decision makers when it comes to hiring hang out? Do they tend to hang out in certain conferences or even certain bars and restaurants or events or even better? Where do they tend to volunteer for good courses where you can go and meet them because you're volunteering too? Mm -hmm. especially you're really big on that. That's one of the things I love about Americans. You guys really have charity built into so many of your businesses, a lot more than funny enough we have here. Yeah. So often what I find in the U S with a lot of companies, no matter how small they are, they always like do some kind of charitable or community kind of work. So find out where is it? When is it happening? Because they're always looking for volunteers for that kind of thing. That's a lot better. And also think about it, the degree, um, this whole thing about, um, I can't remember the exact stats now, but the degree of separation is just going down by the minute. So if you're thinking about, let's say you want to move into, uh, what can I think of? Um, I've just got a pair of glasses in front of me. Let's say you want to move into the eyewear industry, right? Um, let's say, uh, you know, that's a massive world. But let's say you decide to move into eyewear that is only sold online. That's already narrowing it down further. Let's say it's eyewear like, you know, the kind of glasses you can wear when you work with your computer, the sort of light blocking eyeglasses. Yeah. Let's say you nail it down to that niche. Then that's a lot easier to find out where do those people hang out? What kind of online groups do they have? Offline groups? Who are the influencers in that field that I can connect with, get in front of? Try to niche down as much as you can. And also remember that often smaller companies that might not have sexy, well-known products or names yet are easier to get in front of and might give you more of a chance. Sure. So often one of the things I see, and this is especially the case if people have a big name on their CV, either now or before, 
is that they tend to sort of be a little bit snobby as in, oh, but that's like so-and-so, nobody's heard about them. That doesn't matter. You already have stuff on your your resume that shows you work with the big guys or the big ladies. So now it's okay to actually go to a smaller firm to get your feet in the ground and it's a win-win scenario. So don't be a snob when it comes to the how famous or well-known or well-respected is the company because it might actually not be a good thing because that's what everybody's going to go look for first. If somebody's listening to this podcast and this is all resonating and something is moving and and they're going, okay, so I, I think I need to change. I, I have, I'm starting to think through my skill set. I mean, what, what's the next action that someone can take to move themselves along the path? Should, and, and I guess maybe I should, maybe, maybe the next thing to do is decide whether or not to go and hire a transition coach uh, or, or um, advisor. How do you make that decision? Can you do it yourself or do you need help? Well, here's the deal. Everything that is possible to do in the world, you can do by yourself potentially. Yeah. But it's a matter of how long is it going to take you to figure out and how many issues have you got with self-sabotage? Where are you going to get the information? How do you know what order to do it in? So it's a little bit like, by all means, you can try to have a stab at it. But if you want to fast track the process, you want to, it's a little bit like if you think about it, it is such a big thing to think about with so many risks involved and so many at much uncertainty. So you might want to speak to someone who does this stuff for a living. And I suppose if, if you are feeling overwhelmed or you just aren't sure how to take the next step, then that's probably the ideal time to talk to somebody. What I would say is a lot of people waste so much time, like I said, overthinking. So a lot of people, it can literally take them many months and years from the kind of like, oh, I'm really unhappy to actually do something about it. So what I would say is if you are having an inkling, that little nagging voice inside of your head saying, oh, I'm wondering whether I should, you know, whether I should change. That is the best time to start speaking to someone, to start educating yourself to actually, or even get access to a proven framework. Because fact is, if not, you're going to potentially start talking yourself out of it. Life will happen. And before you know, it's five, 10 years down the line and you're even more happy. You might be stressed out. So I think it's important for you to decide, do you want professional advice or do you want to you know, try going it on your own. I would also say, be careful. Hmm. What I've noticed is it is an arena that is almost like a theme park. <laughs> you could spend the next 20 years reading books and going to talks and Googling blogs on people who changed careers yesterday and da, 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 da. Really think about how do you want to approach it? And I think a lot of times, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I have so many clients from a professional background is that professionals tend to seek out other professionals. So that tends to be why if you come from a professional background, you're used to taking advice from experts. I would encourage you to do the same. But by all means, if you think you can figure it out by yourself, you know, go have a stab at it. And then if you keep going around in circles, you keep start stopping, start stopping, then, you know, let's talk. Where can our listeners hear more from you? I will spell that because my name is Danish. So it's R-I-K-K-E dot M-E, Ricky dot me. Or you can also Google intelligenttransition.com. The way I work with people for the majority of, of the people who come to me is through an online program. It's a three months online program where I literally help them nail down their what, you know, what's that ideal business? What's that ideal career? How much of a change do they need and why? I also still work with a small handful of private clients, but for the majority, that online program is the best way forward for them. And it also includes uh, live Q and A's with me. I absolutely one of the things I love most of all is the hot seat thing where people literally, we nail down what is the real issue and therefore 
what kind of actions can they take right now? I don't believe in this whole kind of Netflix style program where people get access to everything in one go and then they gobble through it and then do, don't do anything. I am very, very big on implementation because at the end of the day, for people like us who are overthinkers, smart people, your biggest issue is not necessarily information, it's doing something about it. What does it cost? What does it cost to do an online course like yours versus hiring a private coach? It depends on what level of coach you're looking at. You want to be more specific as in, because there are so many different kinds of coaches you could hire, whether they're life coaches or goddess coaches or all that kind of fluffy <laughs> I, stuff that's out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, so well, mean? well, what does your online course cost? So in pounds, it starts around 600 pounds. Mm -hmm. So that will be around $800. Yep. That's what it's currently at. And I suppose when you're dealing with uh, a coach, you're probably paying an hourly rate most of the time. It depends. Um, people are different. As an advisor, if you were to work with me, obviously one-on-one -on -one would cost a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. um, you've also got outplacement agencies. They charge you know, two to three to four to five grand. Some people decide to do an MBA in the US. That can be up to 200K. Right. So it's really, a I mean, it's all over the place. You might be able to find a life coach. You can hire a $10 an hour, but then you might be wondering <laughs> what kind of results they can. So to be honest, I think what I would recommend that people look at is like, how much is it worth to you to save time and to get something that works from an expert in the field and then, you know, put down your money accordingly. I find that if people are not willing to invest in the transition, then, you know, with the things that matter in life, you generally are willing to invest. Right. Right. But also what I would say generally, if people come from a law background, then money is not generally the issue, even though a lot of times we think that it is because we like to keep the money we made. Mm -hmm. But I would say that you would generally be looking at if you were to get professional help, whether for example, an online course, you're looking at around probably a thousand dollars. Yeah, which shouldn't be a deal breaker for anybody getting ready to make a transition. No, and also if you actually think about that, um, generally that's like 300 something a month. And if you think about it, you know what that would be per day. I mean, think about it over the next let's say three months, you're going to blow $800 and something else anyway. That's not going to help you transition. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at it, think about like your, your daily coffee, your takeout, you know, that crazy weekend in Las Vegas because you hate your job. You know, it's like things add up. So I would look at, well, wouldn't it make more sense to invest in yourself? Because also if you think about it, if right now, whether you want to transition or not, you should be investing in your own career because that's all you've got. Right. So it's not a matter of whether it's a transition, uh, you know, advisor you're paying for or an online course. It's really like you should be looking for opportunities to invest in yourself because that is the only safe investment we got in the current environment because you are all you've got. Are there any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? No, you've been really good, actually. I've really enjoyed <laughs> this. I mean, to be honest, as I say, this is I've been in this field, you know, since 2005. And it's one of those things, even when I go on holiday, I still read about psychology, AI, future work and all of this. So I love talking about this stuff. We could probably be talking for a lot longer. So no. Um, and also, I really like that you haven't asked too many personal questions about <laughs> my journey, because one of my biggest bugbears with a lot of podcasts is like 75% of them, just their journey and there's nothing for the listener. What I liked about this is, and I'm hoping your listeners feel this, we've given you a lot of very concrete advice that you can start taking action on straight away. But I also would say I have quite a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. So if you want to come over to my website, I literally have videos around, should I quit my job? How can I start a business without quitting my job? What if I have too many ideas? What if I don't have any ideas? I do videos that are generally around five to seven minutes. They're very just like this style, very direct, very practical. So definitely 
whether you need help or not, do come over and check out the videos because there's a lot of practical um, free videos on my website as well. Fantastic. And I guess you'll put a link as well on your... Um, It'll absolutely your... have a link in our show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's R-I-K-K-E dot me if you're interested in learning more or watching those videos. Ricky, thank you so much for being with us today. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Thank you.